Welcome to the Spartan Underground Show, your ultimate resource for everything Spartan race training. Discover what the best SGX coaches are doing to help their clients boost performance, dominate obstacles, and get through each race burpee-free. Here is your host, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and you are listening to episode 20 of the Underground SGX Show. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or just want to get a hold of me, feel free to email me at info at spartanunderground.com. To find any links mentioned in the show, just head over to the show notes at www.spartanunderground.com slash episode 19. All right, now I'm excited. This is the first episode of 2017. Hopefully you're as excited as I am to get started with some of the new races uh, hopefully we see some new challenges, new obstacles, and, and just some awesome race venues this year. Uh, in our last episode, I talked about coming up with your game plan and, and training uh, for your races this season. And I kind of wanted to build off that and just remind you, this is the perfect time of year to come up with, with your plan and, and set your goals for the year. And kind of starting it all with, why are you running these races? Why are you putting yourself through the pain and and the struggle to train for such a challenging race. And so defining your why, what's your purpose behind this? Once you define your why, then committing to a goal, right? So I, I mentioned and I've, I've written about it in our, in our emails uh, that I'm going to be trying to run four trifectas this year. So that's, that's my commitment. I'm committing to you guys listening to this episode. Uh, hold me accountable. Call me out on Facebook or wherever. And um, make sure I'm, I'm committing and, and sticking with it. So, uh, so find your purpose, commit to your goal, and then you create your plan so you can follow through and, and hit that goal. So it, as, as I mentioned, if I can help in any way, you can always email me, reach out on Facebook, and I'd be happy to help you get to your goal to make sure that this year, 2017, is the best year yet. All right. And in this episode, we're going to have some great motivation, great tips for you to keep you on track this year. All right, so in this episode, in our research review, we're going to talk about a study that's uh, going to talk about VO2 max. So we'll talk about what VO2 max is and some different training methods so you can improve your VO2 max. We're going to have SGX coach and dietitian Anne LaRue on, and she's going to talk about uh, an article that she wrote recently uh, for the Spartan website, 10 Foods That You Must Have in Your Kitchen, and she's going to give us an intro and talk about three of those foods. So you're definitely not going to want to miss that. And finally, in our both our resource of the week and our SGX interview, uh, these are going to be related this episode. Our resource is a, a book, The Essentials of Obstacle Race Training. And this is uh, an awesome book, just really going every everything you need to know about obstacle course race training and, and preparing for the race. And for our SGX interview, we actually have one of the author, uh, authors, SGX coach David Megida. Um, in this interview, we cover a ton of stuff. It's, it's jam-packed. We talked about it, the early days of Spartan race training, uh, why he wrote this book, um, how he got asked to host uh, NBC's Spartan race, and um, his insight onto his training that he does at Elevate Interval Fitness in D.C. We talk nutrition. Uh, apparel, um, different types of training, things people are doing wrong, lessons he learned from, from Randy Moss, 
and um, really what it takes to be a, a Spartan athlete and the mental side of training. Uh, I can go on and on. We, we talk about a ton of different things and we probably could have t- t- kept talking for, for hours, but don't worry, I kept it as, as uh, quick as I could, but uh, a great interview. Um, so tons of info to keep you on track this season. Uh, so let's get right into this week's episode. All right, in this week's research review, I wanted to review VO2 uh, max. And in previous episodes, I've talked about kind of the big three things you need to improve endurance performance, and that's VO2 max, lactate, lactate threshold, and running economy. So a couple episodes ago, I spent some time talking about running economy, and we talked about a study that uh, used hill interval training to improve running economy. So I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check out that episode in case you missed it. Uh, but I wanted to move on to VO2 max. And before we get into the study, uh, again, don't worry, I won't go too much into physiology, but just so you understand what VO2 max is, that is your maximal oxygen uptake. So as you are exercising and increasing intensity, you may be breathing in more oxygen but your body might not be able to handle that extra oxygen coming in. It basically, it's tapping out at a certain level. So when you look at a high-level athlete, endurance athlete, they're going to have high level, uh, high VO2 max. Now, some of that is definitely going to be genetic, and then part of it is going to be from training. We can definitely influence our VO2 max. But if you have two athletes with everything else being equal, the one that has the higher VO2 max is going to be better at aerobic performance every time. Right, so this is one of the most important predictors of or indicators of aerobic performance with VO2 max. And it basically has to do um, with the combination of one, your cardiac output, or basically how much blood is, is getting out with each um, uh, per minute. And also how much the, the difference between oxygen in the arteries and the veins. So the, the, the arteries going to the working muscle, delivering that oxygen. We want it to go into the muscle and not return into the veins uh, because if it's in the veins, it means that it didn't get delivered to, to the muscles. So um, probably don't even need to worry about that at all, but just know the higher your VO2 max is, the better performance you're going to have if aerobically. And uh, that brings me to the study that I wanted to review. And this is from 2007, which is hard to believe that this was 10 years ago already. Um, but the, this is from the Medicine and Science and Sport and Exercise. The title was Aerobic. High-intensity intervals improve VO2 max more than moderate training. Now, what they did here, they took 40 male moderately trained subjects. So they weren't um, rock star athletes, just, just kind of average people who were working out. And they split them up into one of four groups. They had uh, a, an LSD group. Don't get excited. They weren't um, tripping out on LSD. It's just another way to say slow, long-distance training. So they were doing kind of your... Uh, traditional uh, endurance training where they were going lower intensities about 70% of their max heart rate for 45 minutes constant. The next group was the lactate threshold group. They were going for about 25 minutes or so uh, at around 85%, so a pretty high, high intensity um, that they can maintain for a longer period of time. All right, And then the last two groups were interval groups. They had one group doing intervals of 15 seconds on and then a 15-second active recovery, and they were hitting 90 to 95% of their, their max heart rate, so pretty hard sprints for 15 seconds. And then the last interval, interval group was going uh, 
four rounds of four minutes at, again, 90 to 95% of their max heart rate with a three-minute recovery in between. So all groups did this three days a week for eight weeks. And I'll just cut right to the chase. The, the best improvements were found in the last two groups. So those that were doing the uh, interval training saw the highest improvements in VO2 max. Now, traditionally, you would see for improving VO2 max, increasing volume, where kind of you'd see like that first group where the recommendation would be to get more miles in, right? Get, get that volume up, get more miles, get more distance to improve VO2 max, which it's true that will improve VO2 max. But as this study showed, interval training, one, it, it will improve VO2 max better than moderate training. Um, but number two, and maybe more importantly, we don't have to put in those high miles, right? That high impact and, and beating up the joints with some of these longer mile races. Now, what I want to make clear is I'm not saying you should only do one or the other, right? So we don't want to only do moderate training and put in tons of miles because one, it's not the most efficient way to train and two, it might lead to more injuries, more impact. And then, uh, but same goes the other way. We don't want to only be doing high intensity interval training because we can't keep up that pace, right? So people think they might be doing high intensity interval training like five days a week. If, if you fall within that category, you're probably not doing high intensity interval training anymore. You're, you're doing more moderate intensity interval training. You just can't keep that pace up for that long, that many days in a row. Your, your body, your muscles, your nervous system, everything is going to need a break. And uh, just to bring up a, a, an interesting study on horses, because they train horses the same way, uh, they use this high-low technique where they basically alternate between high-intensity training days for for horse racing and then low intensity days and this one study they did it for 187 days they just alternated high and low intensity for these horses and they saw improvements in their running performance and then for the next 75 days they increased the intensity in their hard days but they just kept the easy days the same so they still had those easy days there and after that 260 days later they still saw improvements because they still had that easy day in there uh, but then after that 261 days, they increased the intensity on the easy days. So every day got harder, and they saw within five days after that, performance decreased in these horses, right? They, they couldn't even complete the high-intensity workouts anymore. And I know why am I bringing up horses. Not all animal studies will relate to human studies, but I think this one, we're going to see a, a pretty big correlation there where you just can't maintain that pace. You, you can't train high intensity all the time if you don't have a, a low intensity follow-up. And I think the takeaway here is follow something like the high-low method, which I, is just like it sounds. For every high intensity interval day you do, you should follow it up with a low intensity or a moderate intensity at least. All right, so that way you have your hard work, but then you have your light work so you can hit the next hard workout at the right intensity. Because otherwise, you're going to be run down, you're going to be sore, tired, not as motivated, and you're supposed to be doing, you know, maybe 15-second sprints or minute intervals, and you're not going to be able, you might do 15 seconds or you might do a minute, but you're not going to hit that 90 to 95% intensity that you should be doing, right? So we like to say, you know, anything is better than nothing, but not actually all the time if it's going to lead to decreased performance or an increased risk of injury. So 
just monitor your, your, your workouts and your performance. If you're doing more than two high-intensity interval training workouts per week, uh, just definitely proceed with caution and make sure you're not burning yourself out um, and keep testing yourself to see if you actually are improving, right? Do, do performance testing and see if you're training too much, you're probably going to see that performance decrease, right? So that's the tip for this week. Get your high-intensity interval training in there, but don't forget to follow it up with some low intensity to uh, further improve your VO2 max. Hey, what's up Spartans, SGX coach and registered dietitian Ann LaRue here to talk to you about some general nutrition information. This is going to be a quick talk that comes from one of my blogs on the Spartan website called, uh, that was 10 foods you should always have in your kitchen for good nutrition. So as opposed to talking about fueling, now we're going to talk about foods that you should be eating each and every day or each and every week um, that will contribute to the buildup of nutrients in your cells. We've all, or you may have heard the phrase, overfed and undernourished. What does that mean? That means we're eating a lot of calories, but we're not eating the calories that contain the nutrients that our bodies need to perform optimally. And that's going beyond things like carbs, fat, and protein to focus on those micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, um, that really fuel the cells and help our bodies take care of all the little actions that take place from breathing to repairing muscle um, to building new tissue, everything in between, right? So I'm going to get started and cover just a few of them. And then in the show notes, I'm going to ask Mike to include the link to the full blog that will list all 10 foods and a little bit more information on them, as well as some good links where you can use these foods as part of recipes, which is always an important piece because if we don't know how to incorporate them into our diet, we're less likely to do so on a daily basis. But first I want to tell you about the foods that I'm not talk going to be talking about today. Okay. And those foods are not going to be things like kale, quinoa, flaxseed. Why? I love those foods. Those are some awesome foods to have, but those foods have been talked about and talked about and talked about. We don't need to, as you'll see in my blog, I refer to those as the rope climb and the spear throw and the bucket carry. Like those obstacles in a race, they are classics. Yes, they should always be there. They are definitely, um, when you think about a Spartan race, you think about those obstacles. And when I, want, when I have you guys think about the best foods to eat, I want you to automatically think of kale, quinoa, and flaxseed, of course. Um, but I want you to start thinking about some other foods too. So that's what we want to talk about today. One of the things I love about being a dietitian in a supermarket is that a lot of times during the day, I get a little bit of free time that I can go around and see if I can help any customer here or there. But what I am also doing is walking around in the aisles, checking out all of the new foods, beverages, and things like that. So I've come across some pretty cool things during my time that I might not have looked at because let's face it, when you're going in the grocery store to do groceries, you're kind of like, you're in, you're out, you got your stuff. Nobody really goes to browse the grocery store. But I have the opportunity to do that. And one day I came across uh, hemp hearts. So at the heart of every hemp seed is the hemp heart. And this is like a powerhouse of nutrition um, that you have in this little seed, okay? This hemp heart, a serving of it, is going to give you 110% of your daily manganese, 45% magnesium, 45% phosphorus, 20% iron and zinc, 
um, 11 and a half grams of heart healthy fats, 10 grams of protein, and three grams of fiber. How awesome is that, right? Magnesium. So many of us hear that magnesium is important and they're kind of even starting to push magnesium pills, which I don't necessarily think is necessary if you're getting these foods in on a routine basis. Magnesium helps with um, supporting bone mineralization, protein building, muscular contraction, nerve impulse transmission, and immunity. These are all things that Spartans, people doing intense workouts, should be focusing on making sure that we're optimizing our nutrition to help with all of these functions, right? Um, so hemp hearts, you can put them in anything, put them in smoothies, put them on top of yogurt, put them in your salad, make a homemade granola bar, soups, meatloaf, wherever you want to mix it in, really good nutrition, check it out today. I found mine just in a normal old mainstream grocery store. Um, you shouldn't have to go to a specialty store for that. All right, next I want to move on to sorghum. Have you ever heard of sorghum? I hadn't until actually, I think I heard of it one week before they actually mentioned it on an episode of The Walking Dead. It was so funny. It's one of those things where it's a word you've never heard, and then once you learn it, you hear it everywhere. So I'm sitting here watching The Walking Dead, and what are they talking about? Sorghum, and what a great nutrient it is and how they need to learn how to harvest it for this new world. So if you're not a Walking Dead fan, sorry, you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you are a Walking Dead fan, I'll throw you an extra aru your way. Um, but sorghum, kind of along the same lines as cooking like quinoa or bulgur or couscous or anything like that. It's an ancient grain that you cook in that same way, kind of, again, also like rice, where you let it simmer and it absorbs the water. Um, but what is so great about sorghum? It's an ancient grain. It's a whole grain um, macronutrients. It's an excellent source that has complex carbohydrates. Um, it's an excellent source of fiber, which is awesome. Um, sorghum is obviously going to be low in fat as a grain. It contains um, more healthy fats, though, than wheat and rice and slightly less than corn. Um, great source of protein. About 11 to 12% of a serving is, is uh, going to give you some protein. Naturally gluten-free. Um, but again, complex carbs, proteins, healthy fats, yes, those are all good things. It's the micronutrients that we really want to send right into those cells and, and really be functioning optimally at that cellular level. So as far as micronutrients, a comparison of 100 grams of commodity sorghum um, for children ages 1 to 3 years old shows that the micronutrients are met 366% for magnesium, um, 73% for iron bioavailability, uh, zinc was up there, 38%, thiamine, 47%, all these B vitamins doing really great, right? Um, iron and zinc are two of the four micronutrients identified as at risk in populations in developing countries. And honestly, the way people eat so imbalanced here, it, it wouldn't surprise me if iron and zinc are often uh, low for people here as well. Sorghum is an excellent so source of both iron and zinc. It's rich in B-complex vitamins. Think your energy vitamins. Your, they play a major role in energy metabolism. Um, so they are the perfect combination as a new carbohydrate to add into your diet for all of you Spartans. Um, Phytochemicals, some sorghum varieties provide an excellent source of phytochemicals, so plant chemicals. 
that are really helpful towards providing the cells, again, at that, at that low level, cellular level, with all of the nutrients that they need to function optimally. Lastly, sorghum assists with reducing blood pressure because it has excellent source, uh, excellent high levels of potassium and very low to no levels of sodium based on how you're cooking it and what you're eating it with. So just a really great all-around grain that might give you something a little bit different from your normal old quinoa and everything, which again, I still think is, is great. All right. Last thing I think that I'll talk about today is going to be this awesome product I found in the store. It's black bean spaghetti. It's my absolute favorite because I love pasta, but I don't always want to have straight up pasta. Sometimes I get sick of the uh, spaghetti spaghetti squash, right? So I wanted to add something in a little, that's a little bit more robust because I love that robust taste of the pasta. So again, walking around the grocery store, what do I find? Black bean spaghetti. And what do I look at in the ingredients? One ingredient, organic black beans, right? So they, they process them down to make them a noodle. When I say process them, I don't mean taking all the nutrients out and now you're eating a processed food. What I mean is that they have to put them through a process to be able to get them into the texture and shape of a noodle. So it comes in a dried form, just like you would any other spaghetti. You heat it in water, but it's so thin that it cooks literally in six minutes, super fast, super easy. Um, it's loaded with fiber because it's made from black beans. So that's awesome. Going to keep you fuller, longer. It's going to help maintain a regular digestive system, a regular bowel movements, right? Um, but on top of that, this is a, because it's also made with beans, that's a high source of protein, right? Um, so if I look at it here, let's see, to, compared to an equivalent serving of regular pasta, black bean spaghetti has 18 fewer grams of carbohydrate than a normal serving and 18 more grams of protein. Talk about an awesome post-workout um, meal to eat. Absolutely delicious. What I love even more about this for the fact that so many of us don't get in enough potassium, a serving of the black bean spaghetti gives us over a thousand milligrams of blood pressure lowering potassium per serving, 1,267 to be exact. Isn't that absolutely awesome? We all need more potassium and this is an excellent way to get it and to feed our pasta loving um, self, right? So that's just a few of the foods. That's only three of them. There are plenty more that I cover in the article on the Spartan webpage, including pumpkin seeds or anything pumpkin. I talk about pea protein, chia seeds, kimchi, wheat germ, chart, chart, tart cherry juice. Say that 10 times fast. Um, so check out the blog. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Aroop. All right, as I mentioned, this week's resource is a book, The Essentials of Obstacle Race Training. And I, I read this book and pretty much immediately wanted to get one of the authors, SGX coach David Megida, on here to kind of dive in a little bit deeper, talk about some of the, the topics that he discusses in here, because I knew it was going to be just so beneficial for all you guys out there listening to this. But um, this is just a book that I think everybody should have in their arsenal. Keep it on your shelf. 
Uh, a great reminder if you've been racing for a while. Um, if you're new to it, this is just absolutely essential for you to have. Um, but just some great uh, variety in here covering all aspects of training that you would need to do from gear recommendations to uh, nutrition, whether it's fueling for the race or just general nutrition, um, thoughts on high fat versus high carbohydrate diets, uh, the specific obstacles that you're going to see, how to improve endurance, um, working on mobility and balance, power, strength, uh, different types of grip strength training. Um, and then once it goes through all of these different things, it gets into specific workouts. So there's different workouts you can do, and this is including uh, strength programs, uh, running programs, combination programs where you're doing both that that coach is going to get into in the in the inter in interview today. Um how to prepare for your race, you know, simple checklist, race day, what you should have with you, um, choosing the right race if you're not sure exactly where you want to get started, uh, injury prevention and management, and one of the big ones, mental training and preparation uh, to, to get you ready for a race like this, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable, you're going to be doing things that you may not want to do, um, and, and then a, a countdown to race day so you can be prepared for everything. So, um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this book now because in the interview we're going to we're going to discuss everything but I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself but I, I highly recommend it. Um, it covers everything you really need to know. Uh, he'll say that it's a beginner's guide but really anybody can use this this book if you're interested in Spartan Race training and especially if you don't necessarily follow a program and you're just kind of working out and running. This is going to give you the the blueprint basically on all the different aspects that you should be incorporating from mobility to strength to power to running all in there how you can combine everything into a solid program and and as we've been talking about on a lot of episodes how you can program it to uh, periodize it so it, it helps you peak for for that race that you want to peak for um, so let's get right into uh, the interview um, and talk more about this awesome resource All right, so it's finally time for our SGX Coaches interview. And as I mentioned, I have SGX Coach David Magida. So Coach Magida is the founder and general manager of Elevate Interval Fitness in D.C. Uh, he's the member, a member of the Spartan Race Pro Team and host of Spartan Race on NBC Sports. Uh, Coach Magida has been OCR racing since 2011 and has just had tremendous success with the sport. Um, he's ranked in the top 10 in three years in the Spartan Race Point Series. He was ninth in 2012, 5th in 2013, and 10th in 2014. And today he is going to provide us with some awesome insight into his book and his training facility, Elevate, and uh, help you guys prepare better for your Spartan Race. All right, so what's up, David? Thank you so much for, for spending the time and coming on here. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Um... I'm excited to talk uh, anything and everything obstacle racing. All right. This is going to be fun. I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this. And I have a feeling that most of our listeners at least know who you are. But if, if you don't mind, just quickly let people know about your background, how you got involved in racing, and then how you got involved in training. Yeah. Um, well, um, racing's kind of always been a huge part of my life. And, and I started running road races when I was in like fourth grade. And, um, was really into that and 
transitioned into running and cross country and track in high school and won a conference title and went on to, you know, be recruited to run in college and did a brief stint of collegiate running and, um, really burnt out and, uh, took a step away from the sport for about five years. I worked out hard. Um, but I, my cardio consisted of like playing pickup basketball and I just like pumped a lot of iron and I got very good with my, my strength training techniques. And, um, I learned a ton, um, right towards the end of college, I, I started trying to run again and, um, just, just light running. And I was getting really into the concept of like, oh, I'm going to dabble in triathlon. I'm going to do this and that. And, um, but really I was more into like the biking and doing other things and strength training. And, um, I, uh, was down in graduate school, at the university of Miami, and I saw a Facebook ad for this thing called Spartan race. And I was like, this looks really cool. It was like, be strong, be fast, be unstoppable. Like this whole vibe was like totally right up my alley. And, uh, so I went out and I registered for the race and they put me in the student slash military division because that was a division. I didn't know that like the elite heat was a thing. And, um, so I'm in Miami and it's a noon heat. So it was about 97 degrees out awesome. and, uh, it was a super and I hadn't run more than four miles in like, you know, five years. And it was an eight mile race. And, uh, I literally crossed the finish line, like delirious. Like I didn't know <laughs> where I was. And, um, my, uh, my sister was there with like three bottles of water and I think a coconut water. And I drank all of it and ate like this <laughs> thing of watermelon because that's what they used to give out at Spartan race. Like back in the day, they were like, they had, the only food they had was like fresh watermelon. And like, <laughs> um, it was just random weird. Um, and back then it was so much differently organized. There was barely a festival. Like it was, I would, I think that was only like the third or fourth Spartan race that had ever been hosted. So nice. it was really raw. Um, but it was great. I mean, it was an incredible event and I remember being hooked immediately. Like the next day I went out on a long training run. I was like, I'm into this. And, um, it led me to actually training for some marathons and some other things and really re restored my love of running, which is, it's beautiful that it did that for me because it really filled a void that had been in my life for the previous five or so years. And then I guess flash forward, uh, the next year I ran the same race again and the year, and then later that year, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get really into this. I, I raced Hobie Call at a at a race uh, down in the same area in Miami. He flew all the way out from Utah. This superhero scramble. Uh, those of you who know the history of the sport may know that this race was giving out big cash prizes, and we all competed, and they had a point series, and we all showed up to all their races, and then they stiffed us all at the end, and uh. went bankrupt, and didn't pay anybody, but Hobie and I met there, and we did get paid out for the first few races, and um, he beat me there, and he pulled me aside afterwards, and we were talking, and he was like, well, what are you training for all this other stuff for? Like, you're a natural obstacle racer. You should be doing this, so he was kind of my first mentor in the sport. Mm -hmm. um, we became very close friends, and um, he really brought me along, um, and, and got me kind of focused where I needed to be, which is awesome. And, and he and I've had some great races since so we had a couple really, really tight races, which is, which was very exciting for me. Cause, uh, as an athlete, I've always looked up to him and we don't agree on everything on the other side, like political stuff, but that doesn't <laughs> matter. Uh, um, once you're out there, you're just athletes. And, uh, yeah, so we, we were hooked. The next thing I know, um, I ran the ultra beast. I got, I started podium at races and, and, uh, I was approached to join the Reebok Spartan race pro team. And 
uh, things kind of just took off from there. Like I, uh, I was one of the first 10 men on that squad. I, I was in the uh, top 10 in the Spartan points series, uh, three years in a row. And, uh, it just, it just steamrolled man, like into, uh, features on the, the Spartan TV show. And I was invited down to attend the United States obstacle course racing, uh, the, the, the first gatherings that they did when they were trying to put together like a governing body for the sport and uh, supposed to come and represent the athletes and, and did some work with them and they never really got off the ground, but it led to an introduction with a woman named Michelle Maloney who was, um, she, she does, uh, acquisitions for human kinetics and they're like a really well-renowned exercise and sports science publisher and, she knew that I had launched my gym. Uh, sorry for any background noise here. Oh, that's all right. Um, she knew I had launched my gym, and it was uh, Elevate Interval Fitness in Washington, D.C., and I really took like, everything I was doing for my Spartan race training, and uh, we bottled it into like this amazing, well-rounded class to build incredible athletes, and it's fun and exciting, and it's boutique, and it's luxury, but it's gritty all at the same time, and so – I've now launched two locations. Um, I got one in DC and one in Fairfax, Virginia, and we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, but Michelle knew that I was doing that and how I was doing with the racing, and I have a background in writing and public speaking and broadcast journalism and this and that. And so she said, "Why don't we sit down and see if we can we have everything together to to sit down and write a book?" And so she brought in a girl by the name of Melissa Rodriguez, who uh, she and I. Uh, she was a, a, a writer for Mud and Obstacle magazine back when they existed, mm-hmm. and uh, she has a huge passion for it too. And all of us kind of sat down and hashed out a plan for a book, and uh, flash forward like a year and a half, and boom, it's done. The Essentials of Obstacle Race Training, a beginner's guide, and um, it crushed me because I was doing those at nights. I was working these these 4 a.m. wake up until 10 o'clock at night shifts, and then I'd come home at like 10:30 and. I'd write for an hour or two and go to bed and, you know, it's like fragmented thoughts and, and slowly but surely over time, you start to piece it together into a smooth product. And, um, it was, uh, it was quite the experience, man. But, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been coaching Spartan classes and classes that my clients don't know are related to Spartan <laughs> for, for two and a half, pushing three years now. And, um, you know, when they're running up a treadmill with a sandbag, they just have no idea where I got it from. <laughs> uh, it clearly cracks me up, yeah. uh, but it's great. So, I mean, I guess that's where I am now. Elevate is our second location up and running and we're hopefully going to get up a third by 2018. And, um, and, oh, and yeah, I guess just by chance I was approached and asked to host the, uh, NBC Spartan race TV show this past season. So, um, I've now done the last six episodes, five on NBC Sports, and then, of course, the World Championship race on NBC, where um, you didn't see me as much, I think, as, as you normally do. We, uh, we had some, some filming issues, but that uh, was great. Was a great show, and uh, it was a great experience to, to be featured with, with uh, a lot of these great athletes and um, to hopefully continue to help uh, the production team move the focus of the sport in the right direction. That's awesome, man. And it, it, it's obvious you've had such an awesome, wide variety of experience in this sport from, from when it first started to racing um, to being on the broadcast side and an analyst and to coaching. So, and, that's, and then writing the book. And that, that was what draw me, drew me to you to get you on here was I read the book. And I think this is an awesome guide 
and you mentioned for beginners, but really, I'm sure you'd agree that anybody would benefit from reading this book if you're interested in obstacle course racing. I, I do think it's for everyone. Um, it definitely has a lot of that stuff that an experienced racer might say, yeah, no, duh. Mm-hmm. But it also has, you know, I think some valuable tools that a lot of people can pick up. And that goes, from, you know, what to eat, how to train, uh, what to wear, some technical skills for getting through some of the more complex obstacles, um, a really a nice variety. And um, I, I think it's a good launching point for at least beginner to intermediate racers. And, and who knows, they were talked about doing a second edition with a new training plan at some point. So uh, who knows what's going to come down the road. Um, but it's certainly uh, got some really good effective stuff in there. All right. That's awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely be looking out for that. Um, so you've already covered a, a ton of things. So I, I just want to go back and, and pick on a couple things before we uh, kind of dive into the book. But um, I want to go back to your first Spartan race. And I just always love asking how you mentioned you were just beat up by the end of it. What kind oh, of learning experiences did you get from that very first race? Okay. So I learned a lot. Um, one, I learned that an eight mile Spartan race and an eight mile run are two dramatically different things. Um, so, you know, an eight mile Spartan race is like doing a 15 mile run, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of fatigue levels. I generally say it's about double the distance it is in terms of general fatigue. And then it's also, you know, because it's so full body and your body is not used to that, compression after that aerobic effort and then that that heavy strength and aerobic effort and then back to aerobic so it, it, your body is definitely getting shocked constantly throughout that race i learned that i needed to carry nutrition i hadn't really carried much nutrition during races before but you know having a gel or something to to slurp down an hour into your race is a, is critical mm-hmm. on a race this long and that grueling and that taxing I learned that heavy running or heavy basketball shorts are not your best option (laughs) for an obstacle race. Um, The mud and the misery. I did go shirtless, so that was at least a strong play on my part. And I'm Mm -hmm. a huge believer and advocate in running shirtless or at least compression. And then um, the other thing was shoes. I learned a bit about shoes, and that was – don't just wear your oldest, crappiest shoes because you don't want to get your new shoes muddy. <laughs> you know, you need traction, you need grip, you need something that's light is going to shake out the water in the mud and not something that's going to turn into giant bricks on your feet and weigh you down and make you miserable for the next seven miles. Mm-hmm. So um, footwear, obviously huge key. But it took me, man, it took me like a year – Year, there was nobody there was nobody that like was an expert in this sport when I started so it took me like a year plus to kind of figure out the right footwear and then still race to race it was like you know I would show up with three different kinds of shoes to every race and it would be one of those situations where I'd sit there and I'd bring them all and then walk around and check out portions of the terrain in the area and see how how wet it was see how hilly it was Am I going to have any kind of pavement on this course? What, how can I mix, you know, how do I select the perfect shoe? So I have like three, I still have three to four different types of shoes that will become my go-to shoes for certain races, depending on terrain. That's, that's actually a really good point. Uh, and I'm sure just not with shoes, just having d- different outfits, you know, and, and yes. not just to, to show off your fashion, but to, uh, uh, to kind of figure out what do you think it would be best? You know, should it be compression? Should it be shirtless? 
um, or, or what type of shorts, compression, same thing, uh, kind of having options. So it's not like, well, I didn't think it was going to rain and now it's raining or, you know, whatever, and, and just exactly. not being prepared for it. I mean, I'm here in D.C., and a week ago it was like 20 degrees, and then yesterday it hit 70. So, I mean, the reality is that that weather conditions can be so sporadic and so unpredictable, and, and you need to be prepared accordingly. You might think you're going to a warm weather race, and it turns out to be freezing cold. I raced in Texas, the Beast, a few years ago. I can't recall which year. The first year I raced it, it was, I think, 2012, and it was 78 degrees. It was real warm, muggy, humid. The next year, the exact same race, 30. <laughs> and we were breaking ice to go through the water. It had been thir under 30 for 10 straight days, the, the, the worst cold spell in Texas history. Wow. And so preparing accordingly, so key. You know, just have that gear. Don't be afraid to pack a big bag. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You can always check it and, and you'll be fine, yeah. Uh, so are you still racing competitively or just kind of having fun with your races? I mean, um, both, okay. I think is the best answer. I don't run many, um, but I have, with the exception of the world championships a couple of years ago, I have stood on the podium of like each of my last five or six races, I think. Um, so, you know. I, last time I raced Virginia, I was on the podium there. Um, I think I, I got nipped pretty narrowly by Hunter and, and Novakovic there. And um, I, I got, I was, uh, I won the DC Spartan race. And the next year I took second, Ryan Kent beat me by 14 seconds there. And um, we actually had a great duel in that race. It was fantastic. And then this past uh, October, I went out to Philly and ran Citizens Bank Park, and the only person who beat me there was Bracken, and he won the the stadium championship. I think he is the best stadium racer, yeah, in the world right now. And uh, and uh, you know, so I, I I think I still got it. I need to focus exclusively on Spartan if I'm going to go back and race seriously, seriously. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I can I can kind of pull a race out and and drop a pretty solid performance pretty much any time I feel like, but in order to be able to compete in the mountains, that's a whole nother story. That's mm -hmm. a, that's something you need to really, really, really periodize your training for. Oh yeah, definitely. And so you've been doing this for longer than most. Um, mm -hmm. what do you think has kept you where you can still, you can get out there and you'll podium, um, you know, and, and staying healthy and injury free. What do you think are some secrets that you've, you've been able to do to, to maintain for this long? Um, well, I think one is to teach your body about pain thresholds, and uh, you're able to push a lot harder than you realize. Um, so, in order to I mean, to keep yourself competitive, you, all of the guys that are the best guys, they're willing to dip into that pain cave on a level that that the average person can't even imagine. They just can't even visualize how much suffering that takes. They think it's talent, but the only talent there is the ability to be miserable and keep going. Um, as far as training, I think balance is a key with your training. I, I, I really try to not overdo the miles. That's when I tend to get hurt. When I run a really, really, really high mileage program, when I start to get up that 70, 80 mile range a week, that's, that's when I start to really get banged up. If I keep it reasonable and I do the appropriate amount of strength training and I mix up the terrains that I'm training on and I add some trails and some dirt and I do some of it on the treadmill, it tends to be a little better for me. Not any treadmill, guys. Uh, only Woodway 
mm-hmm. treadmills. It's the only treadmill I'll train on. Nice. Uh, that's, that's all we have at our studio. And, um, it protects your feet and it protects your knees. And I actually have, I have not suffered a stress injury in two and a half years since I started training on them. They're incredible. Awesome. Um, so that's it. It's a really neat little thing. And then, you know, you learn to focus, you, you learn to spend the money where it's necessary. And I say this because like everybody tries to be cheap mm-hmm. at all, and, you know, cut corners and this and that, but, um, you need to change your shoes out every three to 500 miles, no matter what, just change them out. Doesn't matter. Burn the old ones and get a new pair, suck it up, go on a cheap website and, you know, get them discount, get last year's models. But um, you can't be running in old, banged-up shoes. Once they lose that structural integrity, you, you don't have the ability to – your body's not strong enough to, to train through it. Mm-hmm. And on a bad shoe, you're just going to get hurt. It's just yeah. how it is. Save the money on the medical bills. Save your season. Buy new shoes regularly. Rotate shoes. I rotate between two to three pairs at all times. I never have the same pair every day. I have bounce-back days for my shoes. They need them. So all that stuff. You know, It's, it's amazing how much we've talked about um, – footwear yeah. and yet how critical it is for everything. Yeah. And, and I, I have clients and I know plenty of people who will try and get every last drop out of their shoe until it essentially just disintegrates underneath their feet. Sounds <laughs> and, kind of like uh, those Reebok shoes that you race in twice and they just explode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was joking actually on our last episode uh, where the first couple of races, I was basically just waiting until my shoes were ready to throw out, you know, mm-hmm. running sneakers. I would run a race, throw them out, wait yep. till I wore down my next pair, sign up for a race. And I was like, this, this is not a good way to go about training for a race. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up balance because that's, I think one of the, the, the things that I stood out in the book was how it's a complete program and it's going over everything from equipment. Like we've talked about nutrition, strength training, mobility, a, a checklist of, of race day preparation. Um, you kind of cover all of it in there. So if it's okay with you, I just wanted to, uh, touch on a few of them just to get your your thoughts and opinion on on a few different of things. Of course, of um, course. So let's let's talk nutrition because that's always mm-hmm. a hot topic, and it seems like you know everybody has their opinions and their 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 likes. But um, one thing you mentioned in the book that I just want you to touch on a little bit is diet recommendations with like in season versus out of season, and how it it's going to change based on what your ultimate goal is or, or where you are in your training program. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think in season, my big thing is that I like to eat a little cleaner in season, that I, I have a, a training weight and I have a race weight, and I like to be a little lighter for races. Um, so like right now, I'm probably riding about 12, 15, let's be, I'm being generous, 15 <laughs> pounds probably heavier than than uh, I would in, in actual race season. You want to be light and lean and fast, so I eat a lot cleaner um, during race season. I tend to... Um, cut out a lot of sugars. I cut out a lot of alcohol. Um, I really focus on, um, only putting the fuel into my body that it really needs. Um, and then a lot of it is, is like routine, 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 routine. When, when you're doing those clean eating times, things that you're looking for are, um, you know, I, I tend to eat the same thing for breakfast every day, the same thing for lunch, the same thing for dinner during that race season when I'm really trying to lean out. Also because it, it helps your body respond better to the, the rigors. You're not going to do anything weird to your system on race day that's going to end up costing you. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's big as well is, is being consistent with your eating, not trying anything new on race day, for example, 
having already trained with it, trained with your fuel, um, whatever you're going to be putting into your body, not just surprising yourself on race day, but training with it on your long endurance days and putting that into your system and um, being fully acclimated to it and knowing exactly how your body's going to react to it. Because I, I had to learn that the hard way as well, um, that I, I tend to cramp when I use gels and things like that. And I had to teach my body to accept them. Yeah. And I have a, you know, I, I remember the first triathlon I ever did. I did a sprint triathlon and did not plan nutrition at all. I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll be fine. And I remember like in the bag, it came with some blocks and, and gels and stuff. And I'm like, whatever, I'll just throw one of these in when, uh, when I get to my bike or before the run or whatever. And I remember I, I did that. I got to the run and I ate a block and it was margarita flavor. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to throw up. Like, this is the last thing I want. I, don't get me wrong. I don't mind a, a good margarita. But when I'm just exhausted and tired, that was the last thing I wanted. And it just made me want to vomit for the rest of the race. So, like, terrible plan. Um, so I, I definitely couldn't agree more with experiment. You know, see what works for you, what you like, what you don't like, what your body likes. Um, not just waiting till race day to try it out. No, absolutely. And, and that's a big thing is, is everything – should be you should be so prepared by the time you get to the race that it's just automatic uh, everything is is just already been so it should be so routine and, and and that doesn't mean you're not going to occasionally have a bad race like we all have days we feel good and our body chemistry is is perfect and we have days where we just blow up mm-hmm. and we have no idea why yeah um, and and that happens in, in incredibly difficult endurance events that's just common. That's why you see these marathoners have great days and then other days that they completely implode and drop out of the race because it's, it's incredibly difficult to predict the perfect amount of effort that needs to be put out, the perfect amount of uh, everything really, the nutrition. It, it, it can fluctuate a bit day to day and uh, people need to not be discouraged by that. You're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days and um, I've had bad days where it's left me like a little depressed afterwards mm-hmm, and you definitely. have to learn to kind of put it behind you and, and maybe use it as fuel and keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually one, another, uh, portion of your book, you talk about mental training and I think that's an, an aspect that a lot of people just neglect. And it's, it's amazing when, when you look at high level athletes, they're usually so similar in ability and strengths and, and endurance and all those but when you have that mental toughness and that one athlete that is just better mentally prepared, they're the ones that are going to win. And it's just something that we don't often train for. And I tell people this all the time, this concept of find your why, find your reason, find your purpose. Um, the big thing is you have to have that reason. You can't just be like, I like racing. You know, it's got to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. It might be I'm willing to win at all costs and die out there. You know, if that's what you're into, um, I know there are guys like that. You look at like a Hunter McIntyre, that's exactly what he is. Mm-hmm. He's, it's, he's racing off all ego. I call him Seabiscuit because uh, like if you're, if you're racing with him, if you're like side by side with him, he'll die before he lets you beat him. Yeah. Um, but some people don't have that ingrained, right? And then they need something more. So it's about um, visualizing all the training and the effort that you've put in ahead of time when you're out there and you're miserable and you're hating life and, and using that as fuel and being like, I've suffered through so much. I'm not going to let this stop me now. It's having a mantra, um, that just 
carries you that you can repeat and say over and over to yourself as you keep moving forward, you know, something to get your mind off how miserable you are. And, and it's keeping that positive mindset and knowing that you're not going to let negativity creep in. You're just going to keep pushing it away because these are all different strategies that can help you endure. And for a lot of people, for most people, it's really just about finishing. It's just getting through it. You, you've got to, You've got to get rid of the bad and keep the good. That's how you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, one section in the book, you you talk about harnessing your emotion. And I just really related to that where Mm -hmm. it's so easy to let your emotional side take over and you're tired and you want to quit, but you can still do it. And you just have to convince yourself and using a mantra or, or something you can keep repeating yourself to, yeah, my legs hurt really bad right now. And you know, everybody's legs hurt really bad right now and everyone's struggling and everyone would rather be like sitting back and, and drinking a beer or something like that, but they're all out there, they're pushing through and, and having that mental capacity to push yourself through is, is just, it's not a, it's not something you're necessarily born with, although it might be easier for some people, but it's something you can train just like getting stronger legs. It's just something you have to constantly work on. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I tell people that mental strength is totally a trainable thing. And we talk with my clients all the time when we we're in class and they're like, this is friggin' terrible. Why are we doing this? This is horrible. And like, we're doing this because we're not just making our bodies stronger. We're, we're becoming mentally tougher. And because nobody else is training like this, nobody's pushing themselves to these limits. You are, this is something you carry with you out of class, out of just your training into life, being tougher wanting and learning to enjoy being a little bit miserable Mm -hmm. because it's good for you. And I think, I think it carries people a long way. Yeah. And I mean, that's how we get better. That's how we grow, whether it's in the gym or out of the gym, it's being uncomfortable, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, or no matter who you are, you're going to face resistance in some point in your life. And if you're just a person, when somebody, uh, you face some type of conflict or resistance and you're just like, eh, I'll just try something else. You're just going to be bouncing around and never, never moving forward. Well, and that's what I say. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Exactly. So, yeah. So we, we talk about that all the time. Nice. And- so let's, uh, let's jump in. So obviously the mental side is a huge part of this, but the physical side as well. And, um, with world championships just being aired, um, I think most people probably saw Randy Moss um, oh, man, going Randy. through. <laughs> and I, I know you have some experiences working with Randy. And um, one thing I think is pretty clear that you can't argue what a great athlete Randy Moss is. No, and not at all. He'll, he'll, even a great athlete can get just crushed during these races. So what what type of what kind of athlete do you need to be and and what type of training should we focus on to be able to dominate these obstacles well, f- well first of all let me premise this by saying I, I was running with randy in Asheville. i ran with him for a huge portion of the course and um we were towards the end and he was like y'all are crazy he found out what the winning time was and he is like you this is messed up he's like somebody better drug test that guy um, <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, he, I, I tried to explain to him, and I, I, I was like, this is no disrespect to football. I just think, I, I was just, we were running, we were talking, and I was like, I just think that the athlete that is great at this sport 
is the most well-rounded athlete on the planet. And I, I, I don't, and, and also I think that this is probably arguably the most dangerous sport on the planet. And he took offense to that because he, football, I mean, yeah. I think very much argued that it's the most dangerous sport on the planet, but it's different. I was like, man, you could theoretically slip and fall off a cliff doing this sport. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've ever raced down the side of Killington through the woods off trail at a dead run, it is the most terrifying thing you'll ever do in your life. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I've been certain in numerous races, I'm going to die. Like this is, I'm going to die. This is the most, why are we doing this? This is so dangerous. And, um, and fortunately I haven't, yeah. uh, but, but I, I talk about this. I say to be great at this sport, think about the elements that you need. You need to be fast. I don't mean just kind of fast. Like these dudes are dropping like five minute miles over the course of this race. You've got to be fast. You have some wheels. You have to have the endurance to sustain for not just one, two, but maybe three, four hours. And you're talking about WTM. You're talking about 24 hours. And they're not running slow for – well, they might be by the end, but they're mm-hmm. opening up pretty quick. These yeah. guys are moving. And then you have to have the strength, not just strength to move something heavy once, but to move it over a period of time. Or maybe you're competing in an event that you know, you're doing the Ultra Beast and you're out there for like eight hours and you're um, – you got to get those hands to fire when they're totally blown up, when your grip strength is totally gone. So that ability, that mental strength to push through that we talk about. So you need to have that. You need to have the ability to run up mountains, fearlessly descend them. You have to run. I talk about this concept. You have to run with courage. You have to run fearlessly. It's like that, uh, that Steve Prefontaine style of running where it's just all guts. Yeah. And you're just gritty and nasty. So you have to have all that. You have to run with an attitude. Like F everybody else. F this course. I'm going to destroy this thing. You know, I'm going to crush everything in my path. Like that. You have to run with that edge. And it's like, man, you combine all of these elements. You have the ability to jump over things, scale them nimbly and with great agility and balance and getting low and, you know, crawling essentially low bear crawling low crawling ape walking through um barbed wire you know it's like and then you have to be able to pick up a spear and make a precision throw at something or maybe you know in some of the other races they used to have things like oh paintball shoot or something like that and you have to like calm your breathing and nail a target and it's like we used to have some I, i've done races where we've had to hit something with a slingshot i'm like oh, i wouldn't use the slingshot <laughs> heck is this? Uh, so you have this really nice range of like all these skills. And I just think it's fascinating how you have to train every element. You can't just like, you can't just wing it and hope for the best. You have to be able to do everything. And, and that to me is what's so impressive about these top, top level athletes. And you look at like a, a Robert Killian and he can do anything. Mm-hmm. He can run up, down quickly. Uh, he can scale mountains. He's becoming very good at all the technical climbing work. And yet he's strong enough to, to, to crush the heavy carries. And so much of that is his mental willpower. He and I have spent a lot of time together and very few guys are as focused as he is and so precise with their nutrition and their training. And it's so scientific for him. And he, you have to be willing to put in the time. Nobody's winning this stuff on natural talent. Mm -hmm. Nobody. Definitely. So let's, 
let's get into your style of training for a little bit. So at your at your gym, what would somebody yep. expect if they, you know, maybe they they've never run a race or maybe they've done one, didn't do as well as they wanted to and wanted to come up with a better training program, what type of system would you implement with them? Well, the nice thing is about my program is that we immerse you into it and we kind of you're kind of going at your level. It's totally scalable to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's interesting because we're like almost like one of those treadmill classes with the good strength work and stuff, but mm-hmm. we're not. We're such another level up from that in terms of complexity um, and and purpose. Um, we're, our whole concept is to train like an athlete and to be incredibly well-rounded. Um, I don't really care about like the aesthetic stuff. Mm-hmm. You can you can go somewhere else if you want to look sexy. I know you're going to look good when you do this, but uh, the whole idea behind it is to teach you to run hard and aggressively and to teach you lactic thresholds to, to develop the ability to climb uphill. Um, sometimes the runs are more about grit and strength and, um, and threshold. And sometimes we're going to be more and more emphasis, a little more emphasis on explosiveness and speed and leg turnover and power. So it really depends on the day. Um, but generally your class is divided into two portions and I, we call, let's call them strength and cardio. That's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you're going to have, um, cardiovascular training. That's going to be, um, treadmill work, rower work and, uh, air bikes. So like a salt bike kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then strength training is dumbbells, kettlebells, TRX, body weight, sandbag training, a whole range of things. We do a lot of minivan stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we pretty much have all the toys a personal trainer would throw at you. But I love to utilize um, the whole room. So we do a lot of mobility-based wow. things with animal movement and, um, and you know, long laps across the room of walking lunges and broad jumps and burpees and this and that. And um, the whole idea with the program is to constantly challenge you in new ways. Um, so our variety of our programming is really, really exciting. And then the way we tend to tax you is like just yesterday, my clients were running, we're alternating runs up, uh, up a hill, sandbag runs, alternating with high tempo running. So dropping the bag, getting back on the treadmill and going high tempo immediately on their runs, um, and teaching the body to transition aerobic to anaerobic back and forth. Um, we do a lot of like, um, speed and explosiveness training to really increase people's thresholds for, um, for their lower paced stuff. So when you run a little slower, you feel really comfortable because your body has the ability to go so much faster than it did before. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's all these really neat concepts. Um, we do a lot of muscular endurance training over heavy power. So I'm not into like getting under a bar and squatting three, 400 pounds. I have mm-hmm. zero interest in that. I don't think it helps you for the type of athlete that we are developing for this sport. Now, the ability to move 100 pounds for a while, that's a way better skill in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of circuits and interval training where you're going um, to jump off a treadmill and then you're going to knock out 15 thrusters and then you're going to row 800 meters or uh, you might uh, – I might give you a grip strength block where you're doing uh, 50 kettlebell swings at a time and we're blowing out your grip strength and then you're going to have to sustain a, a hold, a hang from something. So 
we constantly want to mix it up and, and challenge you and keep it fresh. But to really focus on doing it with purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't do like classes where you're like, I'm going to do back and buys today. Every day is full body, dynamic movement, maybe with an emphasis on something. Gotcha. Maybe there's an emphasis on legs or maybe there's an emphasis on abs, but it's always full body. Mm-hmm. It's always total conditioning. And in your, your experience, do you, cause obviously we want that balance in there of, you know, strength and running. Um, do you feel that most people spend too much time in one area? Like just lifting, like you said, like just trying to push yes. max strength. Yes. I think, I think, um, people, people think that they're getting great workouts because they're building like huge arms and legs. And it's like, I, I hate knocking CrossFit because there, there's some good elements that CrossFit brings, but um, to anybody who thinks that that's making them a better athlete, especially for this sport, you're just mistaken. Um, the reality is like turning yourself into a huge box, which is what they're doing, um, makes you like slow and lumbering and certainly doesn't give you the ability to run quickly over time. Um, you lose a lot of that agility if you're doing it and you want to be better at basketball or football. Well, you need to be at like mobile. You, you need – to be flexible, you need to have all of these other elements that are much more important. Um, so my emphasis is always on engine building. Whatever we're doing, we are building engines. We are teaching you to recover quickly, bounce back, be ready to run again. And you know, I'm, I'm bringing clients in, and within four months, three months of training with me, they're cutting 13, 15, 20 minutes off their half marathons because. We're putting, we're, we're providing elements to their training that they never had before, like the missing pieces. That's awesome. So on, on the, uh, heavy, heavy, heavy. Yeah. And, and on the other end, are you, are you spending any time or, or much time with just strict running or is it kind of these, these hybrid type of workouts? It's mostly I've been in this, uh, since we've opened, I spent the first year ex- not running a single time outside. I literally exclusively did this training and then went out and raced. And if the race is short enough and you're doing this type of training, a lot of intervals, a lot of repeats, um, you're able to be competitive. Like, you know, Ryan Kent and I, like I said, right after that, we raced, we had a dog fight and we had about eight lead changes in that race. It was a great event. And, uh, and I, I actually messed up an obstacle and I didn't fail it, but I, I, lumbered through it. It had been a little while and that's why he got away from me. But, um, we, uh, I do believe that it can be effective for that. But I also believe if you want to be good at running, you have to run, mm-hmm. you, you just have to get out there and you have to have at least a few days a week where you put in the miles. So what I've been trying to do this past year is start to get my mileage back up. Um, my old rule for myself was I did a long run at least every other week where I would hit close to 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And that is not for everybody. So don't just just start doing that if you're not built up to it. But um, for me, it worked um, is to really have that nice base. And you don't have to do a ton of running, but you do need your body to be used to it. So you do need to build up to at least having one really long run every couple weeks. I do believe in that. Um, Do you need to have 100 miles a week? No. Um, But in order to be competitive with some of these guys like Killian and Cody Moat and Ryan Atkins – you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to put in some miles. You know, it, it, there's no substitute for the grind. Mm-hmm. There just of, isn't. Yeah, and kind of the takeaway is, just get that. If you don't love the running, 
um, just get a couple runs in, you know, a month and, uh, and a longer run and longer might mean five miles for you if you're just getting started or, or 20, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're training for a beast or an ultra beast. Um, but it doesn't have to be high mileage, high impact, high pounding on those joints. Exactly. Again, going back to what we talked about before, when you add up those miles and I mean, look at, look at marathoners when, when they get older and they're getting knee replacements or, you know, their, their knees just can't handle it anymore. Yeah. They go that bone on bone. It's a disaster, but yeah. I'll tell you, you can, uh, if you don't like running, got a couple suggestions. One, audiobooks and podcasts. <laughs> don't listen to music. Listen to something informative. Make yourself sharper and smarter while you're doing it, but it takes your mind off things better. Absolutely. Two, get a training partner, right? Have somebody to do the mileage with because when you're having a conversation, the time really flies. That's one of the, the really phenomenal things um, that you can do. And then um, the other thing is you know, the mileage doesn't need to be enormous. Maybe you do your strength work first and then you run. It's really um, similar to the feeling you might get coming off like a really heavy like bucket carry or a sandbag carry and then getting back into your run. Mm -hmm. If you do a lot of like weighted lunges and squats and things like that first and then you go and run, it definitely simulates like your body's trying not to cramp and fight it off. And you don't have to run as far. You can still get that quality endurance work out of it. Awesome. And, and you give a couple uh, or a lot of examples of that in the book on how to combine the strength and the running and um, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, we've already covered a ton and I want to respect your time. So I'm going to wrap it up here. But uh -huh. um, for everybody, the book is The Essentials of Obstacle, Obstacle Race Training. Um, if they want to pick it up, where can they get it? Just Amazon or? So we, it's selling on Amazon. It, you can purchase it. Uh... You can purchase it directly through my publisher, Human Kinetics. Um, you can purchase it uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, and I believe the, the quote that they have is, and wherever other fine books are sold. <laughs> so um, you can buy it from me directly if you'd like. Um, I actually don't have any copies yet in store, but uh, if you're in D.C. And, or in Northern Virginia, uh, very shortly I'll have copies in my uh, studios at Elevate Interval Fitness and uh, I will sign any copy brought to me. So awesome, which is which go. is fun, which is cool. And you save uh, on shipping, and you save on shipping. <laughs> so, um, and more importantly, uh, I'll throw in a free class. Nice. So you come in and and get the work done. Awesome. Um, but it's great, and we occasionally have some of those those big OCR celebs pop in. Like any of the times, um, those guys are in the DC area. They pop in and they train with me, and I'll bring them into class and. We'll do meet and greets with clients and stuff. So you'll always have that opportunity because those are all like my best friends. That's the fun thing. Yeah. It's like these, these are some of the best people in the world, just human beings, great, awesome people. That's awesome. All right. Well, I'll put, I'll put links in, the, in our show notes on where they can pick up the book, um, your location so they can come check it out, get you to sign a copy and, and jump in on a class with you. I would love that. That sounds great. Awesome. So yeah, guys, check this book out. It's, it's awesome. It has done for you programs. So even if you don't like reading, you can skip ahead and check out all the programs. But like I said, it covers everything um, from mobility, injury prevention, strength training, running, uh, mental training. It's, it's all in here. Plus plenty of checklists. If, if you are new to racing and you're not sure what to do the day of the race, it, it kind of walks you through everything. So highly recommend checking it out. Um, David, thank you so much for coming on. I know everybody's going to get a ton out of this interview.
Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and uh, best of luck to everybody. All right, thanks. All right, so that's going to do it for episode 20 of the Underground SGX Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I wanted to give a special thanks to Coach David Magida and Anne LaRue for sharing their insights and tips in this week's episode. And check out any of the links mentioned at our show notes at www.spartanunderground.com slash episode 19. Make sure you don't miss any of our episodes and subscribe to the show in iTunes or however you may be listening to the show. And if you got something out of the show, please give me a review in iTunes and let me know how I'm doing with each episode. Don't forget my special offer. Again, you can find it in the show notes. If you need a little bit of help to start this year out, a little bit of guidance, I'm doing free speed coaching calls. Get on the phone with me. Uh, figure out a plan and uh, help you implement it to make this the best race season yet. So with that being said, good luck planning for the 2017 season. And we will be back soon with another awesome episode. Aru. Right.